0: Hello and welcome to our sixth episode of Institutional Insights, where we'll be talking about our environmental, social and governance ambitions at LGRI. I'm joined today with Anisha Gengwani, who's heavily involved in setting our ESG objectives and the ongoing management of our investment portfolio in order to meet the various targets that have been set. Hi Anisha, thanks for joining us today. Can you start by giving us a, a bit more detail about your role at LNG? Hi hey, Paige. great to be here.
1: So I'm Head of Investment Business Development in Legal and General Retirement. As a team we were a few different hats. I'm responsible for developing various of our strategic projects around investing in new assets and geographies appropriate for backing our annuity pension liabilities. I also work closely with our colleagues in America to develop investment strategy for the US PRT business. An increasing part of my team and my role is now to integrate ESG best practices into LGRI's portfolio and then focus the new assets, new strategies, efforts which are well integrated with our ESG principles.
0: Great. So we hear ESG quite a lot and it's in the news more and more, especially with the focus that the government have around ESG and and tackling climate change. For those listening who might not fully understand what ESG means, could you just explain that in a bit more details and what the different factors are?
1: Yeah, so you're definitely right that ESG is term or it's an abbreviation that's come into common discussions and it's definitely everywhere in the the newspapers and definitely in the financial markets and amongst investors for sure. So what it basically stands for is environment, environmental, social and governance, also known as sustainable investing. The E in ESG is probably the most talked about area that we get focused on, especially since The Paris Agreement, and it's definitely gained in prominence over the pandemic in the last couple of years. The issues around climate change, carbon emissions, how companies across the world and then the world as a whole get to net zero by 2050 are all within the E of the ESG factor. But other topics that fall under this would be things about water scarcity and usage, air and water pollution, biodiversity, energy efficiency, to to name just a few. The S of ESG, so the social side of things, are basically concerned with, and I'm talking from an investment perspective, around how a company might operate within the wider society. This would have relationships to communities. We would be thinking about how the company treats their employees, what the human rights and labour standards are how the gender and diversity issues are focused within a company. GE stands for governance, so that's all about setting the right standards for running a a given company. And we'd we'd be thinking here about whether the boards in a company are sufficiently independent, do they have the right practices in terms of ethics and anti-bribery and corruption practices, are there right whistleblowing practices in
0: place, so all to do with basically
1: running a company well and ethically.
0: So quite a a variety of of different areas which ESG encompasses. Now, it's very much moved front and centre as part of investment discussions. Can you explain the shift in focus which we've seen in particular over the last few years? A
1: few years ago, most market players would have seen this almost as a tick box, something to just talk about in their, their, I, I don't know, glossy memorandums at the very least. I think ESG factors are now f- coming first and foremost from the perspective of integrating the traditional way of looking at financial statements. Previously, these factors may have been not thought about or thought about almost as a as a secondary tail risk idea. But what we have seen, and I'm sure our listeners, and, and you can think of a number of large companies who, for example, have... Faced financial losses or come into the media in light of their reputational risks because of, say, environmental hazards and risks, large oil spills, big corruption scandals. And all of these are definitely ESG risks, which can have very, very massive financial impacts on a debt
0: or an equity or any other kind of investment from a project. And I suppose a very recent example that we can mention is the Deliveroo IPO. And the media attention that it got, given the concerns around its proposed shareholder structure and its treatment of workers. So, uh,
1: like ESG is important to an investor, just because it makes good investment sense from financial perspective. That's the that's the very minimal. And conversely, I think the other side of it is is enhancing returns. So now now. We have a few funds in the market have had long records of sustainable investing. We're talking about ESG integrated investing and quite a few studies which have compared historical returns of these funds versus traditional funds would show that in the long run for buy and hold investors, they have definitely stood the test of time and outperformed from return and risk perspective when it comes to say other funds, which, which may not have any specific integration of ESG factors. So that that's the bare minimum. Of course, when we oh go, go a step ahead and we talk about we want to decarbonize, we want to invest in all clean energy assets and and all those other good things, they come under almost an umbrella of going beyond the integration side to to an impact investor role, taking that active ownership where we where we align our vision, our priorities, the way we we the way we see the world heading. And translate that into our into our investment decision making.
0: So we've talked about what ESG encompasses and how it's being used as another lens to view financial risks. Moving now on to LGRI, can you explain how we've embedded ESG into our own risk framework?
1: Yeah, so first and foremost, as I said, ESG makes sense from a risk integration perspective, and that's where we have been and we are focusing a lot of our energies. We're working closely with our asset managers, Elgem being the biggest, the main partner for us. And the way we're thinking about it is just to make sure that when we are looking into buying any assets from bottom-up perspective, any bonds, any new investments, new projects, then the risks, be, risks being considered are not just those which are traditional financial risks, but very much thinking around what could be the environmental impact, what happens when legislation changes or new rules come into place. We are a long-term buy and hold investor, so we need to be thinking about fundamental shifts in strategy or th- that, and legislation, what will happen in ten years, fifteen years, fifty years? Equally importantly, we're thinking about governance pra- best practices. We're thinking about how are the NEDs composed, the non-executive directors composed? Are they sufficiently independent? Are they sufficiently committed to driving changes around uh, gender diversity and where they stand on social and governance issues? So all those aspects are being integrated from a bottom-up perspective, which I think is. The first and foremost, that the, the 101 of ESG that needs to be done. Beyond that, we are thinking about the impact side of things, the larger alignment side of things. So we have from at an LGRI level created a pathway, a target to decarbonising our portfolio to align with the UK government's plans and the Paris 2050 net zero commitments. And we are we, we have plans to half our carbon emissions by 2030. We have internal milestones to think about how we will invest our new premiums that come in from the PRT business, how we will divest where we are not seeing engagement, where we're not seeing sufficient decarbonization from the right issuers, and how we'll actively own our portfolio to engage with companies and change that landscape. On the impact side, we are looking at our new investments to be focused on clean energy, clean energy investing. We're looking at assets and self-manufacturing assets which play a part
0: in the society from an environmental and social angle. You mentioned our first milestone, which is to halve our carbon emissions by 2030 within our annuity book. Do you think this is achievable and, and how do our targets compare to the wider financial market?
1: i'm definitely confident that we will be able to get there by 2030 we have done this definitely a fair bit of quantification around what our targets are and how we will get there so we are reliant i think on two things one being our underlying the underlying investments that we hold ourselves should be the right ones in the sense that they are making plans and the right commitments and those commitments should be credible for them to also decarbonize in 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 the same sort of fashion, the same alignment and pathway that we have set for ourselves. The second thing with the engagement side of things, so Elgem has been an active owner and by that I mean not just holding debt and waiting for things to happen, but basically going and talking to the companies and issuers to understand what their plans are, why they are not, for example, creating more shorter-dated milestones, or uh, when they intend to take certain steps to on the climate change side of things to, to comply with their net zero targets, maybe pushing them to to set shorter dated, and more immediate targets for credibility. So. I think those two things need to come together for for us to hit our targets, but that's not the only thing we're relying on. We are constantly, frequently monitoring those things. If we don't see that engagement or we don't see that credibility in our underlying holdings, we we will definitely divest. We will find the right assets and the right issuers and the right investments which will help us get to our
0: targets. It's definitely one of the more aggressive targets uh, I've seen within our industry. So I can imagine we have our work cut out ahead of us, though, along with the experts within your team and those in Elgium, it sounds like it's very much achievable and, and underway. You spoke briefly about companies that are not engaging on ESG or looking to adapt their business and subsequently placed on our no trade list. And if we have existing investments with them, we'll look to divest over time. I think it's really interesting uh, to discuss briefly about fossil fuel companies, as many would expect a large number of these clients to be present on um, the no trade list. But that's not necessarily the case. And I wondered if you could explain the reason why we still hold investments with these types of companies.
1: Yeah, I think fossil fuels is is quite interesting. It does definitely get lots of opinions flowing or in, in the investor community on whether they're good or bad. I think we need to be able to differentiate which assets will eventually transition to be net zero aligned and those that'll not and it's a it's a sector that the world has relied on for decades. And and today to suddenly come in or for the last few years since the Paris Agreement was signed to say that hey we'll sell all of Everything which is fossil fuel linked without giving that engagement, giving that the time to transition is I think it's a little bit of a lazy approach to take. Maybe a bit of a controversial opinion here. Now, U.S. as a market and especially thinking about developed markets still relies on about 20 percent coal on average when it comes to how they get their power, how how electricity is generated. But across the industry, when you add up and you see how most companies are projecting and changing, they do expect that coal would be much less than maybe only just a couple of percentage across the economy in about 10 years time. What we need to do then is to really go into the depth of those issuers, every single investment that we make to understand what are they doing over the next three years, five years, 10 years, are they saying they will decarbonize, but still putting money into new coal plants? So those are the kind of questions that we need to be asking and to understand whether whether we should be divesting from those assets today or we can hold on to them, help them with their transition plans as responsible investors, because it is equally important that as suppliers of long term capital, we are able to aid that transition and not just silently divest, make it some other investor's problem or make it that issuer's problem, despite them having the right intention, the right alignment with our interests.
0: Is there any in particular companies that you can name in, within this industry that are working on their transition roadmap as such into renewable energies? So, in terms of names, there, there are a few different names that Elgem for us,
1: for LGRI, are definitely engaging with. Again, uh, thinking about going back to the US utilities examples I was talking about, Excel Energy is one of those names. That did it not have significant detail or targets put in place for, for reaching that zero? But in the last couple of years, we've seen them committed to be 100% carbon free by 2050. They have also come out with a level of detail like they'll be reducing uh, their carbon emissions by 50% pretty soon, and then 80% by 2030. So so those are the kind of things we're looking at, that level of detail, that plan to say, are you thinking about it far out enough? And, And it especially becomes important in companies which are utilities or oil and gas, because they're planning their CapEx today, for the next 10, 20, 30 years. So if they're not putting their money where their mouth is today, you kind of know they will never
0: get there. It's good to see that those companies traditionally involved with the exploration of of fossil fuels are moving their focus over to the renewable energy sector. And it's important, like you said, as a large asset owner like ourselves can support that transition. Now, another term that we're seeing popping up more and more is greenwashing. Could you? explain a bit more about what this means or what it entails?
1: That's quite true. Uh, Greenwashing is something that has found its way into common parlance, just like furlough and pandemic and COVID-19 and all its variants. So climate change and environmental practices and net zero and all these things have come, come come into our investment side of things and thinking. But Equally, while a lot of industry bodies and companies are spending their time trying to trying to basically unpick what 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 does integration really mean, what what is the right thing to do for climate change, there is also a danger of some issuers, some investors, some uh, companies taking advantage of of the trend of companies preferring greener assets. And and that is what I think greenwashing really comes down to. For example, I think green bonds market in my mind is the perfect one for this, where lots and lots of bonds are issued under the name green bond. However, there is very little standardization. I know a lot of industry bodies and investors are spending a lot of time trying to differentiate between What is really making an impact? Like, is my money really going to help the companies decarbonize, help my money go the right way um, and and get me the investments I want from an alignment perspective? But equally, there are companies which would be, for example, issuing bonds, calling them green bonds, saying we're backing them by proceeds, backing, backing the proceeds of the bonds by some clean investment we made six years ago. From our perspective, I think... Our biggest commitments and investments, to, as I said, from from ESG perspective, the focus is very much on integration. We we have not tried to specifically carve out a green bond type of sleeve into our investments. Instead, we want to see all our investments appropriately integrating the ESG practices and risks and taking that into consideration. On the direct investing side, we want to make sure that upfront we do the the, the very detailed deep dive and due diligence to understand that we're not taking any undue risks from ESG related factors that may become more prominent in the next few years or decades to come. We're not taking
0: reputational risk from those perspectives. It's interesting uh, what you mentioned around green bonds and that some issuers have been able to raise significant capital using this term, but not necessarily being transparent on what it's been used for. Do you think we'll see more regulation as time goes on around this area?
1: Yeah, we are certainly seeing more standardizations and investors, investors in particular, becoming more aware of the differentiation. I think, as as you said, greenwashing is something which has again come to come to common terminology and discussion. I suspect trustees, investors, asset owners would start to question their asset managers when they come up with a green product to say, hey, what exactly does green mean? Regulations. I'm I'm. Are yet to be seen what regulations finally take shape in this space. But we have seen, I feel it's equally important for market driven action to drive change here. We've seen some interesting bonds come to the market where they are linked to sustainability targets. For example, a company would issue a bond saying the coupon would be linked to them meeting their decarbonization plans and targets. But if they don't meet it, then they will step up the coupons. So there is, they're actually literally putting the money where their mouth is. They will pay you more if they're not if they're missing their targets, and they therefore have a very clear interest and alignment in meeting their decar so, so I think those are the kind of things that you would like to see in investors being able to differentiate from the market side, rather than waiting for the government to come and create a regulation. I, I think that always takes a bit of
0: time. And it's generally market participants who might be able to drive that change sooner. It's fantastic to see there are investments structured in a way that the capital raised is directly aligned with the, the targets that they've made. Certainly provides more transparency than we've previously seen. And hopefully we'll, we'll start to see more issues structured in that way going forward. So, Paige, lots of
1: interesting questions and discussion on the ESG side of things, but equally interested to hear... Do you think ESG is an area you are seeing in your world where where trustees are showing more interest and paying close attention to? Are they talking about de-risking schemes and and what are they really thinking about when they're they're partnering with PRT providers and insurance insurers like ourselves?
0: Yeah, a a great question and, and definitely one that's been discussed a lot more. ESG is certainly higher up on the trustee board agendas. I would say some are more progressed in this area. There are some pension schemes which have been focused on this area for quite some time. The pension schemes bill has also helped bring ESG higher up on the agenda than maybe where it was before for some schemes. Going forward, schemes will be required to produce their own TCFD report, starting with schemes with at least 5 billion of assets. And this will be rolled out on a a phased approach to schemes of at least 1 billion have one one billion plus assets will be required to produce their report from the end of next year so previously this topic would typically be discussed with the scheme's asset managers but i'd say over the last couple of years it's, it's featuring more and more in our conversations one of the reasons why i think this is well when you enter into a, a buy-in or a buy-out that's one of the longest dated investment decisions as, as such that the trustees are going to make. And in terms of a, a buyout, once that's been entered into, the trustees are passing the baton pass on over to the insurer to look after their members. So the trustees do so much work beforehand on making sure that the scheme's asset portfolios appropriately manage risk, in, including ESG. And trustees, rightly so, want to make sure that the insurer they partner with is equally focused on this area. I also believe that the way an insurer is approaching ESG and how they've integrated it into their risk management framework gives trustees an indication or an insight of how that insurer approaches new risks and how quickly they can adapt to new issues and, and regulations. Unfortunately, no one has a, a crystal ball looking ahead and it's hard to predict what new risks or regulations the market will face, say in the next 10, 20 or, or even 30 years. And given the long nature of of buyouts, the trustees will want to be confident that the insurer they choose to partner with has a robust framework in place to adapt to these as, as they emerge. I would certainly encourage trustees to ask the insurers that they're looking to partner with what they're doing around ESG. Are they leaders within this space? Is their current strategy and risk framework in line with the scheme's current strategy and processes? Will the members be disappointed with how the insurer's embedded ESG into their strategy or will they be happy with the insurer that is now ultimately responsible for paying their their pension schemes once the trustee has taken the scheme to buy out. So I expect going forward that ESG will certainly be an important consideration when analysing and choosing which insurer a scheme enters into a a buy-in or a buyout with. That's great. I mean, UK
1: is definitely, I think, a little bit ahead, like insurers have been ahead, but I think pension schemes, larger pension schemes are are certainly sounds like catching up, becoming more aware of the the risks and concerns in this whole ESG space and how that's not, again, just a tick box, hopefully, but, but something that is genuinely one of the risks that they think about when similar to how they think about credit risks or other equity risks when they think about pension scheme assets. But we're equally recently seeing the Department of Labor in the U.S. also st- starting to catch up and we're seeing the wider trend sweep across the U.S. markets as well, where we're a little bit behind I would say still two three years behind Um, but with new administration and now we definitely see that US insurers and US pension schemes are also slowly starting to catch up to the to the idea and interest in the in ESG risks and how they should be integrated.
0: It's good to see that it's getting getting traction and like you said it's not um, it's no longer a tick box exercise where if you look back you know two or four years ago, and they were looking around climate risk and how they were managing that within their portfolio, it was very much a tick box exercise. And now it's starting to kind of fall through all different elements of risk, because it is a, it's a key financial risk. And, you know, trustees have a statutory duty to consider any financial material factor um, that's going to affect the benefits or, or the assets that they've got within their scheme.
1: Indeed. I think one thing is for sure that this this topic is not going anywhere and, and these risks and concerns and interests is only going going one way and we're, we're all going to be focused on it for quite some years and perhaps decades to come.
0: So unfortunately, that's all we've got time for today. Thanks for your time, Anisha. It's been really interesting to discuss ESG and, and what other companies are doing and what we're doing ourselves within LNG. Remember, you can subscribe to Institutional Insights via Spotify and Apple Podcasts so you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening and goodbye.